0: This is Wilderness and Wildlife presented by the Gallon Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with wildlife and wilderness advocates relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy in the wildlands of the West and all across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Our guest today is Michael Kellett, Executive Director of Restore the North Woods whose mission is to restore the wildlands of the east, preserve and defend wildlife, wilderness, and public land through advocacy, public awareness, and citizen activism. Michael's been with Restore for 27 years, after six years with the Glen Canyon Institute. So welcome, Michael. It's good to be talking with you again. We talked a couple years ago, and I wanted to check back and see what recent developments are uh, in New England and up in the northeast.
1: Great, glad to be on with you again.
0: Okay, good. So, how long has, been, has Restore been operating?
1: Uh, and uh, uh, tell since nineteen, uh, since nineteen ninety two. Oh wow, wow. And uh, I co-founded it. I had been working for the Wilderness Society, and uh, you know, it just at some point it seemed like some there needed to be a group. The Wilderness Society did a lot of great work, but it was not really. Uh, out there at the cutting edge anymore on, at least not in the Northeast, on on preserving and restoring wilderness. And we thought some new feisty organization might be just the ticket <laughs> to get things rolling. Uh-huh. So, so, so we were able to get some really great veteran conservationists to join on our board, and so uh-huh. forth. so that was that was how we got started.
0: So that's like thirty years ago. Uh, yes yeah, so right. oh really so tell us what restore seeks to do
1: uh, well the um, when I was working at the wilderness society I was the the northeast regional director so I had the whole northeast and it was just like this common assumption that oh well there's no wilderness there's no wild nature in New England it's all worked over so all you can do is sort of just, just take care of little little uh, postage stamp size areas and just try to keep things from getting any worse. And then here I'm talking to people in Maine going, oh my God, there's millions of acres in northern Maine that's owned that are owned by these big timber companies. Ah. They would be willing to sell them. They're clear-cutting, they're trashing the forest, uh, but it still is, is a forest that hasn't been developed yet, so it's not too late, but somebody needs to do something to create some big protected areas up here or it's going to all be gone. And I'm going, whoa, that's pretty amazing. So then I started looking around, and sure enough, they were totally right. And I talked to the people at the Wilderness Society, and they were somewhat interested and um, actually pretty interested at first, but then there was pushback from the timber industry and so forth, uh-huh. and they started getting more and more timid about it. Um, but that that made me, of course, feel more than ever that we need some large scale protection. So, so that's why Restore the North Woods in nineteen ninety four. We proposed the three point two million acre Maine Woods National Park, which would involve mostly acquiring some of these big t- privately owned timberlands up mm-hmm. in northern Maine. So you're in Massachusetts, was, right? Yep, and I I spent. Lots of time in Maine in the early days, oh, uh, okay. and then we hired Jim St. Pierre, who's a native Mainer and uh, lives still still lives in Maine, still works for Restore, and he's, he took over the Maine Woods National Park campaign, and he's been the lead on that ever since.
0: So do you have foundation support, or where, where does your support come from?
1: Uh, Most of our support is from our members and we have, uh, you know, about a thousand members and supporters and they're generous and, uh, we don't have tons of money, but every dollar we get, we put to pretty good use. We get a little bit of foundation money. We get a little money here and there from corporations or, you know, like Patagonia or whatever. But generally, it's been our individual members that have kept us going and it's because they believe in our vision. The problem is that foundations, a lot of them, don't want to wait for a long-term vision to happen. They want to see action. They want to see measurable results within a few years where they go, oh, well, I guess it's never going to happen. Yeah. And our members said, well, you know, maybe it could happen if we keep at it. And so, you know, and, and what it led to, of course, is the, the we proposed this big national park and then in 2016, President Obama designated uh, a 87,500-acre Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument within the boundaries of our original proposed park. And it's a lot smaller, but it's, a big na- it's the biggest national monument designated in the East since oh, Biscayne right. National Monument uh-huh, right. back in what 1978, I think, or uh-huh. something. So, so it does. It, you know, you can have a big vision. It may not all happen right away, but it can ch- it can change the whole trajectory.
0: So how do you keep in contact with your members? Do you have a newsletter or online uh, information
1: or what? Yeah, we have a, a, a monthly e-newsletter. Our uh-huh. next one's going to be coming out shortly. And uh, we send out member letters several times a year, which asks for money, of course, but also they... Kind of give people an update on what we're doing.
0: Uh-huh. We have a
1: website, restore. org, uh-huh. uh, which has a lot of information. We have a we, we have a Facebook page. We have a we have a, have a Twitter <laughs> Twitter account, but I don't know. It's probably going to sort of disappear. So we <laughs> actually are getting more. We're we're ramping up our Instagram. We have an Instagram uh-huh. page. We haven't
0: done that much, but. Yeah. What are the recent developments uh, that you've uh, achieved?
1: Well, in Maine, we have not, we've sort of been uh, not as focused on Maine uh, in terms of the park. We have been focused on trying to stop some bad things in Maine, like this giant power line project, which uh, has kind of gone up and down and up and down where they want to ship, create these big transmission towers from, Quebec to ship hydro Quebec dirty hydropower down to Massachusetts, and they would clear cut a bunch of forests to do it. Mm. It's very controversial in in Maine, but I think it, I think it's going to probably end up happening um, because the, there's just too much money and political power behind it. Uh, it hasn't; it's not a hundred percent done deal, but we'll see. And uh, so Maine, we've been sort of fighting some of these bad things. Um, but what's happened is a lot of the action in New England has shifted to southern New England, and it's interesting. It's because the Maine Woods um, was was really the first uh, commercial, large-scale logging-oriented timberland in the U.S. So that was really the first place where they started the large-scale industrial at the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though it was on un- non-mechanized uh, logging, and so they cut all the trees down, you know, long ago, and they cut them down again, again, and even again in some places. So right now, most of the main woods has relatively young trees, although they're growing back. And and in New England, you don't have to plant trees to have a forest. The oh, forest yeah. will grow back by itself. Ah. Uh-huh. So there's no planting, there's no plantation going on, it just grows back, but the trees are not, you know, the average trees in Maine are probably, I don't know, 68, 60, 80 years old at the most. Is there a diversity of species? Younger. Oh yeah, yeah, they, you know, it's what, it's. you know, there's some places have hardwoods, uh, other places have spruce fir mm-hmm. forest, there's white pine, and so it's still a very, you know, where it's grown back, the tree, it's not old growth, but the natural forest ecosystems come back. Mm. And so that's why, and I mean, it means National Park, of course, would be such a great thing, is if we right now drew a big line, bought the land, and stopped logging in a century or so, we would have some, the forest would be approaching an old growth situation. And so it's never too late, although if we keep doing it over and over and over again, it may be, at some point, the forest may not come back.
0: What are the near-term consequences of clearing forest land?
1: Well, well you, you basically wipe out everything that's living there when you do it. Um, and some species can, can move. Some species uh, are underground and may survive for a while, but all of a sudden the forest is hot and dry, or the, the ground is hot and dry, and uh, the, you know, the soil can erode. So it, degrade, it degrades the quality of the rivers and streams and ponds, and there are loads of rivers and streams and ponds in Northern Maine. So mm. it's a big issue. Um, and and then you of course you've freed all the carbon, most of the carbon in in the forest that was standing, and a lot of it in the soil is just gone within a pretty short time. Because when you cut down the forest, people think, oh, you cut it down and you turn it into Two by fours and tables and doors and whatever, but only about only about twenty to forty percent or so of the wood actually ends up in any kind of a longer term use. All the rest is either left and it rots and you know, pretty quickly because a lot of it is small stuff, or it's burned for energy, or it's landfill. Hmm. So when you clear the forest, it's devastating, and and it takes at least a century for the forest to ever recover the carbon that was lost, and the ecosystem. Nobody really knows exactly what the impacts are because they never bother to check before they log, and then compare it with what's there afterwards. They never look. They, they have no idea.
0: Well, you said it. The land, uh, the uh, area regrows after it's been deforested. How long, is, how long does it take before you have uh, a viable ecosystem? 10 years, 20 years, what?
1: Well, via, it's various stages. So actually, so for example, um, Baxter State Park, which is a 200 plus thousand acre state park in Northern Maine was acquired by, the, which is getting close to the size of, it's bigger than Mount Rainier National Park. Um, so it's a large area. Mm-hmm. and. That was land that had been cut over in the early, by the early 1900s, and the former governor, Percival Baxter, bought this land from the timber companies mm-hmm. and stopped all logging. So the newest logging there, there were a few remnant areas And I think, in the 60s, maybe even the 70s. There, were, there was some cutting, but most of it has been left alone for de- many decades. Back in the 1990s, so this was several decades ago, we did an overflight with Doug Tompkins, uh, the late Doug, great mm-hmm. Doug Tompkins, right. who's the guy who, amazing guy who created a national park in South America. Patagonia, And yeah. he, uh, we flew over our proposed national park at the time with him. And he was looking down at Baxter State Park and he's going, whoa, that, I, if I didn't know, I would think that was old growth. That's amazing. Look mm-hmm. at that. And he's saying, no, so the whole forest is going to look like that if we leave it alone. And we said, yep, yeah, Exactly. So, so the forest after you know after about eighty hundred years, it really it's you know to a lay person, they might not even realize that uh-huh. they've ever been logging.
0: Yeah. It's not old
1: growth, but it's really you you have you know if you read the Henry David Thoreau's *The Main Woods*, where he describes the forest as all mossy and moosey and spongy and dark. Centuries for it to you know to gain back a lot of what was gone, but it's substantially recovered within eighty to hundred years.
0: Mm-hmm. So, how and, much of New England is uh,
1: currently forested?
0: Uh,
1: there was a study that re- recently came out actually by Harvard Forest that looked at forests across New England and it looked at how much of it is wildland, land that's uh, un you know like wilderness uh-huh. or parts, and they. Vermont, New Hampshire a little higher percentages there about like seventy oh, really? percent or so. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's very it's a very forested region and it's partly because the the settlement in you know, New England was settled back in the sixteen hundreds and by the eighteen mid eighteen hundreds they had cleared almost all the forests for farming, but it turned out not to be the greatest farmland. So all these far you know, all these farmers moved west to Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, and just abandoned the farms, and by the early 1900s, these farms were growing back. The forests were growing back. You've got all this forest that grew back within the last century, or less. Um, and that's and the way the settlement is here is you have pretty dense cities, and then people scattered around out uh-huh. in, the, in smaller towns. So you don't right. really have as much Suburban sprawl is in a lot of the country.
0: Well, you co-authored some legislation that uh, would designate 85% of Massachusetts state lands as reserves and permanently protect them from logging. Uh, is, Is that legislation going anywhere?
1: Um, <clears throat> yes, we, the, actually, the, this is the third session, they have two-year sessions, like the U.S. Congress. Uh-huh. It's the third session that we got this bill introduced, the se- or su- bill like it, and or and now it's two bills, but together they do what you just mentioned. Uh-huh. And um, each time, more and more people are supporting the bill, and uh, it's getting more, they're getting more and more attention, and uh, number one, what it did is it, it the state government, the, the uh, governor and agencies to pay attention to this. And they, they're actually doing a process where they're looking at all the state forest lands and, and looking at whether they should be expanding reserves and how much should be protected from logging and so forth. So they, they, you know, they had to do this because there was so much public interest. Mm-hmm. They couldn't just do nothing. But in the meantime, uh, the and they're not going to do what we need they're going to they, hopefully they'll do some modest positive things mm. but, uh, but the bill we just had a hearing on our bill uh, what was it two weeks ago just recently in the committee uh, in in Boston and um, we had 28 people uh, testify in favor of the bill mm. and one guy from the forest industry a lobbyist spoke mm. against it mm. <laughs> so mm. they're not protected from, mm-hmm. you know, the only places that are protected are a few places like Adirondack Park in New York, mm-hmm. and some state forests are protected, mm-hmm. but not all of them. So basically, you have these—you have national public lands, you have na- national forests and BLM lands, they're all logged and grazed, and you have state <laughs> forest lands and, gra- and ranch land; they are all grazed and logged so there's virtually no place other than national parks, national monuments, federal wilderness areas and then a few and then some state parks most of which are not very big. Yeah. where this stuff can't happen. Otherwise almost you know that's why uh, you know people talk about the, the 30 the idea of 30% of the planet being protected by 2030 and the US is supposedly supporting that but only about thirteen percent of the U.S. has huh. that kind of pr- protection right now. So, so all the rest is potential is either open now or potentially open to logging and all the other stuff. So that in Massachusetts is a good example. There, there's only about one percent, less than one percent of Massachusetts is permanently protected from logging. Hmm. Okay. So, in what states in New England are where the greatest threats exist? The, the threats vary in southern New England. Uh, re, you know, commercial and resi- residential and industrial development are a problem because you've got you know Boston is a large city, right? Mm-hmm. And and <clears throat> so there there is the destruction of open space for building and and so forth. But in terms of the total acreage, mm-hmm. uh, the threat the biggest threat is logging of forests the biggest threat to forests. And people say, oh, well, you know, when you log it, it comes back, so that's just fine. Well, it's not, because even though I, I just talked about how the forest can recover, it's not, it's not the same when, once you cut the forest down. It's not the same as it was. Mm-hmm. And if you keep cutting, it never gets old. So right. industrial forest lands are never allowed to get very old. In some places, they're as young as every 40 years. Um, I think in the main woods right now, the average uh, rotation, the amount, you know, the age they allow the forest to grow back before they cut it is like 40 to 60 years. Hmm. And so you never have big old trees, you never have old growth forests ever again, if, if that's what they keep doing. And that that's going to destroy the ecosystem eventually because all the species that need these old
0: mm-hmm. growth
1: forests are, are pushed out and if they're there at all, they're not doing that great. So we, so there's this this uh, Harvard forest study which I me- mentioned uh, took a look at what what's the minimum amount of wildland forest that we we need to um, ensure that or at least have some likelihood that we've protected the native wildlife. And they they recommend that about 10 percent of, of New England be protected as wildlands, where which are would be like national parks or wilderness or <laughs> national monuments. Yeah. And right and as I and right now it's about two and a half percent at the most, and that includes areas that are not really permanently protected. So it's really a bit. You know, I mean, this is a problem everywhere, as you know. But in New England, there's a lot to save, and there's a lot of threats. So there's a lot of work to do.
0: So you have this legislation uh, that's uh, working its way through the state legislature uh, in Massachusetts, but mm-hmm. what about Vermont, uh, New Hampshire, and Maine?
1: Mm-hmm. Even connect. Well, right. Well, in New Hampshire, Maine, and uh, Vermont. We've got in Vermont there's the Green Mountain National Forest, and in uh, New Hampshire and Maine, and a little bit in Maine is the White Mountain National Forest, and these are beautiful. Forests, where just like I've mentioned, the forest has come back after being liquidated back early in by the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for a while, the for- U.S. Forest Service was just leave pretty much leaving it alone, not doing a whole lot of logging. But now they've really ramped up their logging, and it's really bad. Mm. And so, um, as uh, one of our the, really the the top priority for Restore the North Woods in terms of restoring and protecting forests is to, is to designate new national parks because there's a huge potential for that in, in New England and across the country and because of our Maine Woods National Park campaign, we've really learned a lot about parks and how to, how they work, how to do them, what, what not to do, what qualifies, what doesn't, and so we're proposing I think the total is, I think it's seven, including the Maine Woods, new national parks in in New England. And that would include those two national forests. And then uh, there's also a proposed park that would be in western Massachusetts in the Berkshires, taking in a bunch of state land, which right now is, is being logged. Cape Cod would be upgraded to a national park and include forest lands, uh... Right off the cape, but also part of the eco region down East Maine, which is a beautiful area. Which uh, is further down east than Acadia National Park. There's some real potential for a park there. Uh, there's a place called the Last Green Valley, uh, which straddles um, Connecticut or uh, yeah Connecticut and Rhode Island, which people assume there's nothing to save in those places, but actually, it's a beautiful uh, area with quite a bit of forest land that's relatively intact, and that could be, you could designate a small national park there, um, so every state in New England, there's potential for new national parks, and that would save, if we designated all those parks, that would save about uh, 13%, I think, of the, is the ca- figure for... Uh, right there, mm-hmm. and so that's even more than the Harvard, I mean, that does, that isn't the 30%, which really ought to be the goal, but that would be a big jump from 3%, which is what it is
0: now. Is there a lot of uh, home and commercial development of forest land going on in New England at the present time?
1: Uh, well, it's localized, so the uh, residential and industrial development is pretty much in these hot spots around Major cities, but New England is pretty dispersed in terms of where people live. So there are, you know, for example, there are towns in Massachusetts that have like 500 people. I live in Lincoln, Massachusetts, which is only 13 miles from from uh, Boston, and our the population is 6,500. about logging, ramping up logging is the biggest threat for these forests, Mm -hmm. so that's why we're getting such a positive response from people, as they say, wow, we don't, you know, we don't think everything has to be a national park, but we sure don't want to see these forests clear-cut and logged, heavily logged, for for no good reason, (laughs) which is what it is.
0: I expect that there are uh a lot of Christmas tree farms in new England uh is that uh, does that constitute a problem as far as you're concerned
1: uh actually there aren't all that many it's not it's not profitable enough i guess oh. um, there uh, most of the Christmas trees here come from uh Canada oh, yeah, have uh, are more in in maine um, I guess there are a lot in, like, North Carolina or whatever, although I don't think we're getting them from there. Um, Christmas tree farms, it's its agriculture. So, actually, it could be worse because, they're, you know, they're growing these trees and they're absorbing carbon. And, uh, they you know, they live for, I don't know how long they, they leave them, probably 15 years or something before they cut them. And... Then they turn into Christmas tree, and I just read an article about Christmas trees, and they're actually, if you it, unless you keep an artificial tree for a long time, in terms of carbon and and pollution and energy, it's actually not not any better to have an artificial tree than a regular tree, and you know regular trees can be uh, mulched, for example, for people's gardens and stuff, and and they're going to use mulch anyway Mm. um it's not you know it's a there's always a cost to everything but the other thing is of course these christmas tree farms do provide some habitat cover for for certain species of birds and other Mm. uh, species so i wouldn't want to see vast areas of christmas trees but that's not the case here it's uh, you know there's there's some scattered around but it's not a big problem
0: hey michael i I hate to interrupt you but uh We're just about out of time, but I've got a lot more questions to ask. (laughs) So if you will hang around, uh, we'll do another half-hour interview. Sure. Thank you. Our guest today has been Michael Kellett, Executive Director of Restore uh, the Northwoods, based in Concord, Massachusetts. This has been Wilderness and Wildlife, a presentation of the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. To hear more of these half-hour interviews, go online to js-wilderness.com uh, or log into kgvm.org uh, and see additional features of uh, uh, of our uh, interviews. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jay Shell.